But we begin this evening in Limerick. 100 years ago this month, in October of 1920, four nuns arrived in the city at the height of the War of Independence. They were members of the Silesian Order, set up in the late 19th century by the Italian priest St. John Bosco. These were the first group of Silesian sisters to set foot in Ireland. The four foreigners, three Italian and one English, came to take on a mission of education among some of the poorest and most deprived people in Limerick. Their story forms part of a new book published this year by the Silesian Sisters in Limerick. It's called Against the Odds, a history of the foundation of the Silesian Sisters in Ireland. Historian Dr Sinead McCool is one of the co-authors of that book and she joins me now. Sinead, you're very welcome indeed to The History Show. Thank you very much, Miles. Um, Could you start by telling us a bit, first of all, about Limerick at that time? It certainly must have been a challenging time to set up a school anywhere in Ireland. Certainly. Well, Limerick was a war zone and it was in what we would know as the War of Independence. It seems surprising that you would have anybody arriving from outside the country and entering into this world. And they certainly entered right into the centre of Limerick City, into the centre of the war zone, because they actually ended up being brought in by the Bishop of Limerick, Hallinan, who was very uh, pro the independence movement. And they moved into the building next to the Gaelic League and were sported by the mayor of Limerick then, who was Michael O'Callaghan and his wife Kate. So they came to know the the people at the centre of the struggle. Tell us a little bit about these initial four sisters, these three Italians and uh, one English sister. Well, the story is one that links into um, the Sutherland family. People would know Peter Sutherland. And it was his granduncle, who was Father Sutherland, who wanted to bring the order, he was a Salesian priest, to Ireland. And he had already brought the Salesian priests. They had set up uh, an agricultural school in Palace Kenry in County Limerick, which is still there. And the correspondence had continued over a number of years to um, bring the Salesians to Limerick. The um, bishop had actually met Don Bosco 45 years before so he was very keen that this order would come to Limerick and they were very well known for working with um, in the main um, people who had been factory workers and trying to give people extra skills so they could get additional monies. The, the ethos of the Don Bosco order um, and the Salesian order was to bring the in the initial stages the poor boys of Turin and bring them and give them work and recreation and to keep them focused on the good things in life. And so it was continued on. The sisters were brought over to set up a night school that had been running before and had ceased. And so what's really unusual, and you'll be aware of this yourself as a historian of this period, to think that here we are, Limerick, um, in a period of, of this campaign of independence and these women are coming in to set up a night school when the, the city is under siege and, and it's under curfew and restrictions. But that's what they did. They had a reality check within, though, a few days of their arrival. There was a uh, there was a shooting fairly close to them, wasn't there? On the very same street. I mean, uh, it's incredible to think that they were that close to the action. And I suppose it gives us a picture of of what they were enduring. And uh, Michael Scanlon, who was involved in the the East Limerick Brigade, was chased by the Black and Tans to the the basement of a hotel and he was shot several times. Now, he died um, not at the scene, but later from his wounds. But um, they would have been hearing this on their their first nights in the city. And what I think is important to remember also 
also is that um, the Blank and Tan Barracks was in William Street, so very close again to where they were living. And there was that sort of fear in in the community all the time because civilians were being shot in the streets. And, and I mean, even though they were religious and they were wearing their habits, it didn't completely protect them from being shot at this time. And But I think that you have to remember also that they're coming out of a period where they would have experienced the First World War. It was a time where they had great, um, you know, focus on what they were doing for their vocation, what they were doing for the people of Limerick. And they were very committed, but still very tenacious and and brave women to to undertake this journey and this and this role at this time. Now, they weren't on their own for long. I think they were joined by three Irish nuns by the end of 1920. But where did they move to and where did they actually set up the school? Well, they, they took over St. Ita's Hall, which was next to the Gaelic League, and, and people from Limerick would be aware of St. Ita's, the holla that's there. So that would have been used by the Gaelic League as well and would have been used by the nuns as a school. And they would have um, taken another house up closer to Mary Eye, um, where it is still today, um, called Richmond House. And so they, they made those two areas their, their convents and they worked between the two. But they had to take the pony and trap and go back and forth. And Sister Mary Keane was one of those who did the drive between the two places and again this would have been in evenings and, and times where, where the city was in, in, a, in a state of war and of course obviously they, very quickly it went from being the campaign of independence into a civil war period and so it was continuing fighting right into 22 and so the, the sisters were very visible in their support of what went on so at the end of the uh, one of the last executions that took place in the barracks in Limerick in what was known as New Barracks Thomas Keane was executed and the sisters tell the story of how they were kneeling outside reciting the rosary and Sister Mary Keane remembered that they had been photographed. Now that photograph has never turned up in any of the newspapers that I was able to search but they certainly were showing their, their solidarity by being present and uh, reciting the rosary with um, Thomas Keane's widow and members of, of the Keane family. Now they were surrounded I think by RIC barracks and army barracks but during the War of Independence or subsequently the Civil War was the convent itself ever raided and if so on what pretext for what reason? Well, all of the, the places in the in the centre of Limerick would have been very vulnerable at the time and they were subject to raids because of the link with the Gaelic League, because there was the activity associated with the mayor of Limerick, who was, as we know, one of the curfew murders in March of 1921. He was shot dead by unknown um believed to be crown forces so they were associated with people that were at the centre of the fight and so they yes they were raided and they were subject to uh, you know having to place their names on the doorways in the in the convents so that they could say who was that was there was a story told by Lizzie Nolan who was one of the pupils and Sister Noelle Costello one of the editors who in 1980 collected the stories that made this book possible records Lizzie Nolan's uh, memories and Lizzie Nolan said they were trying desperately to try and see the nun's name on the on the door because it had their ages as well as their as their names. So the the idea that they adapted to the regime so they're, at the same time as they're fighting this war they're also trying to get representation with the education authorities which was still the British authorities at the time and run the school which was a domestic school and teaching you know embroidery and all of that and so they had to get the, the young girls to pass examinations and on one occasion um, the story is told that, that Sister Mary Giotto had to actually go out during the curfew to gather up the girls because the inspector wanted to, to see them and it 
it was very important for them to sustain this school, keep the people coming, keep the numbers up so that they would be able to stay in Limerick and be able to justify and earn their keep. And eventually, obviously, you know, the, the order was paying to, to set them up in Limerick. So that it was important that they were making an income, which they managed, which is quite incredible. The numbers of Limerick people who supported them. And I think one of the things was the novelty of the fact that they were foreign sisters coming in that, you know, that, that appealed to them. But there was also a support at the same time with Limerick people who saw that they were so brave taking on this role and setting up this convent and this night school during this critical time. In the book, I know you look at letters between people involved in the setting up of the Salesian Foundation in Ireland. Was there anything in those letters about pulling the sisters out of the country, uh, saying this is a very bad idea. Let's try this some other time when there isn't a war going on. No, I think that, I think what it is, the, the letters are all about the possibilities. The Bishop of Limerick was keen that they would stay. The um, Father Sutherland was trying to, to set up the agricultural school and establish the solutions. So when we look at the period of independence, what really interested me as a historian was here we had a group of stories from another group of women who are actually uh, made me rethink about the source material, about how a war situation affects people who have another mission, another focus. And, and I thought it was important that people would realise that it was possible to enter into a city that was so troubled to actually uh, adapt and morph into becoming accepted local. So so they did that very quickly and they succeeded. And and I mean, today, the, the Salesian sisters, there's like, there's still 62 sisters in the Irish province. There's six communities in Dublin and seven in Limerick. And I suppose having been educated by them but myself I felt that it was important at this time to celebrate and commemorate the centenary because I think sometimes in our writing up of women's history the religious orders and their and their story can be forgotten as we then segue from the war of independence to the civil war what happened the sisters how did things change for them because I know that uh, the civil war in Limerick basically comes to a head very quickly after hostilities commence yeah, sure. I mean, we have the the Irish Feasted Army coming to Limerick in March of twenty two. By the by, the summer um, of July of twenty two, they're calling it the Fourth Siege of Limerick. By the eleventh of July, it's it's very intense fighting in the centre of Limerick, where the convent is on Thomas Street. So that is in that sort of circle. And what we had before, you know, in terms of it was the British Army, our barracks of Strand Barracks and New Barracks and Sarsfield, all ringing the convent, as it were. Now in the Civil War, those are occupied. So the Irish Feasted Army are are against the Republican forces and they're both taking different buildings and so it's the fighting is really intense and, and you know obviously there's there's civilians being killed and, and one of the sisters the Mercy sisters who was part of the what is now the Mary Eye complex and um, was shot in the garden of the convent there and so they were very vulnerable so Father Sutherland came down and they were saying that he was able to get them out of the city because he was a friend of both sides so he negotiated their way out he negotiated their access to Demore Castle which would be a castellated house that was built for Lord Glentworth in in the 1860s so it was built during the period of the Fenian time so it had a look of a of a fortress but he convinced the caretaker that he was better off having the the nuns occupying rather than having some sort of hostile force and so he managed to get them secure there but then of course when they had to go back to Limerick City because Limerick City then became less um, vulnerable than County Limerick because the fight moved to, to County Limerick so they basically went in and out there may have been one or two of the sisters that retained and stayed in Thomas Street which when they came back 
back was was riddled with bullets and the windows broken and had seen a lot of fighting. But I wasn't able to find out exactly the full details of that because that's a memoir of somebody and they hadn't followed up and asked them who it was that that had stayed behind uh, or had all the nuns gone to Dunmore Castle. Now, I know that one of the casualties of the Civil War was a mercy nun. So nuns in Nimerick were far from being invulnerable. No, absolutely. They're the same as everybody. There's there's civilians and the same. I I think the difference, though, Miles, in relation to the sisters in terms of the Catholic faith is there had been some persecution of of the religious in Italy. They had come out of a sort of a the First World War. They they were very resilient people. Some of the sisters had been in the English province and obviously learned English over there. Then um, Sister Giovanni Martinoli finished her days in in New Jersey in America, where they set up another community there. So these were pioneering women who went into communities communities they established themselves and then they were their skill set was required somewhere else so they are really um, interesting people Mary and and Ludiana Diotta were actually sisters as well as sisters in in religion and Kathleen Kearns lived into old age and it's her memoir as well that we're basing the story on and that was collected as I said by Noel and the book was edited by Sister Sarah as well. So it's been a really important story for to be captured at this time. And I suppose the importance is is the importance of the document and the record that has survived. So it, it was a great um, book to work on, obviously, as a as a past pupil of the Salesian Sisters of Fernbag. You mentioned the, the personal connection there to the Salesian School in Limerick. Uh, I imagine that if your experience there had not been positive, you would have politely declined to have become involved in the project. You know, I think it's very important to remember where you're educated and where your your thinking comes from. The Salesians had a very interesting ethos in terms of it. They have the sisters who use their own personal names and then they have cooperators, people who assist them to, to do good works in the community. And they've always worked as community-based nuns. And when I was educated by them, they, uh, every Saturday afternoon they had what was known as a joy club, which continues on. And so they introduced people to film and, you know, it was games and it was activities. And, and what I found about it was it was all about um, they were very much as focused on your talents and what you were able to do so I suppose where I felt really privileged to, to get involved in this is because I think that it was it was a very very happy upbringing you know for me and that's and I know that's for some many people that wasn't the case but I I felt that they they nurtured talent and they encouraged debating and they did different things and I suppose my work really on, on women's history was that what drew me to this was that it was a different story and and I think what it's important to remember sometimes is that we tend to look at the same documents in the the newspaper accounts or the the records of the people who were activists involved in the, the likes of the campaign of independence and so it gave a little bit of a different view at what women did at this time coming as they did originally from a, a war zone having set up a community in, in England and then moving to Ireland and then obviously Sister Giovanni Martinoni actually went on to move to New Jersey and did the same in, the, in America so I think what you see is, is you've got pioneering women who actually empowered other women to either give them the skills as embroidery or for entering the bank or into the civil service or all these things that helped people to improve their lot. So when we see other communities dealing with and, and religious communities dealing with the poor and educating people in this way, the Salesians actually did an additional thing and where they were developing the person alongside the education. And I think I benefited very much from their, their education of me. And we're very grateful that they gave you the education they did because we've made use of it on many occasions on the <laughs> on the History Show. Um, tell us about the, the, the book and the availability of the book. 
It's available through the Salesian sisters themselves. They um, hadn't intended to make this as a commercial book. Their intention was to capture the stories, to use the work that Noel had done so successfully um, in the 1980s to put it together into a story. And uh, my role was to give it the context for the history and the, the social and economic times. So I understand that some copies may be made available through O'Mahony's if there's an interest in it. And I think there will be because it's a powerful story. And I thank very much uh, Noelle Acostolo and Sarah O'Rourke for giving me the opportunity to taking part and joining Lizzie Nolan, the first one of their pupils and being the other pupil in who contributes to this book. So once again, the book is called Against the Odds. It tells the story of the Salesian Orders Foundation in Ireland, including that tale of a group of nuns succeeding in their mission in Limerick in much what must have seemed like impossible circumstances. Dr Sinead McCool, many thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Miles.